like you or who would ever like to have a chance to sit at the front here and see a sea of humanity together in this silent field that we're in together. <laughs> you look beautiful. <laughs> really, that willingness to sit there here with your own heart, mind and body. And in spite of ourself and all of the difficult things we have to attend to in our practice, your willingness is forging these other qualities to come forward. That's, that's, maybe you can sense that, but that starts to be clear from up here. The patience. Steadfastness. Someone was talking about that today in the group, the hanging in there, right? Hanging in there with and for ourselves. The friendliness, the clear seeing, the courage that it takes to stop and let what maybe hasn't had the chance yet to arise, to arise. That's some of it, isn't it? That's some of what we're handling. That which we've moved, been moving away from or we weren't yet able to open to. That's some of it. The courage to sit with that, to begin to learn how to handle that piece of the territory. So, yeah. I, I probably won't take the... 45 minutes having you sit up here one at a time. <laughs> but I think what I, why I'm saying that is because it's very clear from sitting up here the, those qualities and that we're all in it together. That's from up here. You can, we can see this. It's like this kind of this room, this ship. You keep coming back. And we know what that takes. You know what that takes. And the more we keep hanging out with ourselves, this is what I find, the more I hang out with myself and I'm willing to keep coming back, the more I get that the only place all this makes sense is when I know that we're all in this together. Thinking that my practice is on my own or it's going to be about me or fixing me somehow or dealing with my pain. Yes, that's one way of looking at it. But the place it all lands and comes together is when we widen out a little bit and see who we're here with. And I don't just mean in this room, <laughs> right? But who we're here with in the big, big picture. Somehow that starts to make sense of what our peace is that we're asked to handle in this life, what we've been asked to handle. Somebody today um, <clears throat> was, was having, have had, has had trouble sleeping here the first few nights and is come bumping into a place of um, anxiety in the night, and probably many of us may know that, that kind of thing, that kind of territory. <coughs> and this person said, um, 
I'm at the place with it now where I know it's no good just being in the story of how can I get rid of it and how can I fix it. That's putting more pressure on. But there is a kind of basic resistance to being with it. And then she said, um, yeah, it was, re- it was really painful. You know those spots of anxiety can be sometimes really not only painful, but the breath was <sighs> had this kind of desperate quality to it in that place. She had enough seeing to see, yeah, this is what was happening. But it was keeping her awake. And we explored a few things and worked with a few things about coming away from the body, coming away from the central part of the body, coming into the arms, bringing the awareness into the legs, opening the eyes, moving the body a little bit to give more room, (coughs) to give a little bit of a bigger container for this tight place. And then she said something interesting. She said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll try that practice because I'm really devoted. I'm really devoted. And I said, what are you devoted to? And she was still with the pain and the anxiety and the tight spot. I said, what are you devoted to? And she stopped for a moment and she said, I'm devoted to peace and to freedom. And then she said, for all of us. And as she said that, something shifted in her appearance. I said, what happened when you just said that? Committed to peace and freedom for all of us. That's a big statement, right? But it was real. It came from that place deep in, actually, I would venture all of us, right? That really does care. And as she said it, she said, wow, that anxiety is just gone in that moment something widened something expanded her arms came out and the whole container of her sense of practice got really big in that moment and in that moment the problem went out So something about remembering each other or remembering where our care is, remembering what you're devoted to in your better moments, in our better moments. What are we devoted to? Somehow that helps us do our work. Helps us do our work. So this evening I um, would like to speak a little bit about these beautiful words in the tradition of the teachings in the language of the tradition, uh, citta viveka, and has a number of ways it can be translated. Um, and hopefully, I'll get there a little bit. I'll attempt to to, to speak about that. Citta is translated as mind and as heart in the original languages, and in many languages, apparently, there's not a separate words. It's mind, heart, mind. Right, the chitta, we can say that whole resonant, intelligent, um, sensitive us that is impacted by experience, inner and outer. Right, we feel it. We have perceptions about it. We have thoughts about it. It's the whole kind of sensitive human resonance. Right, that's we could say is chitta. Sometimes our chitta, our mind is expanded and bright and clear and maybe you're waiting for that moment. But, right, sometimes our mind is really open 
And it's not just the intellectual mind. It's, much, it's bigger than that. It includes that, but it's much bigger than that. Sometimes it's open and expanded. Sometimes, and you'll have seen this, it can be really tight and contracted and hard. Sometimes it's filled with kindness. Sometimes it's filled with hatred. Right? And it's the, the textures and the resonances and the colors and the ways the chitta shows up are, I would venture to say, infinite. The infinite possibilities of the way this chitta can show up. And chitta viveka, viveka is sometimes translated as solitude. But I prefer, that that has a beautiful part to it, but I want to describe it because we can have all kinds of associations with that word. Um, It also means not sticking, not gluing, not being glued and stuck uh, to something, right? It can mean singleness, complete and utter singleness of mind. Right? It's not sticking to anything that passes through it. It's, it's receiving it. It's resonant with it. There may be a response to what comes, but things don't stick. That's where we're heading. <laughs> That's where we're heading. Inner resonances, the things that we say come up. You know, that expression, we, we use it sometimes and don't even think about it. I didn't think about that for years. Something's come up. Well, where's it come up from? Right? Sometimes it really feels like it comes up from the basement. Right? It's kind of coming up. Right? And sometimes we don't see it till it hits the head, and then we're, it's come up and it's all about this. But actually it's coming up. It's filling the chitta. There's feelings, there's perceptions, there's kinds of stuff going on. As we, isn't there? <laughs> isn't there all kinds of stuff going on once we sit with our own heart-mind? We might think, especially if we're new sometimes, we're in for a couple of days and then we think, oh my goodness, there's more stuff going on than when I came. I thought I was coming to clear this, you know, get free and spacious and open. But actually in stopping initially, that's when that's the courage to say, okay, I'm not turning away. Like I think Ian and I were speaking about last night. I'm not turning away. This is what's, this is what's showing up for me in this moment. So I want to start, even though I've already started, I had intended to start uh, with teaching you a song chant to, to join in together, to attend to, a, um, I would say, something that everyone has to handle in their practice, sometimes very often, sometimes it goes away for a bit and then we have to handle it again, and the Buddha was handling this right all the way through his journey, right to his night of awakening. And in common language, it's called the inner critic. The inner critic. And I heard a, num- a, a good number of uh, people today working with the inner critic. And sometimes we're just under it. So in case you don't know what I'm talking about, I, 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 um, I was going to say I'm ashamed to say, but that would be the inner critic, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm humbled to say, I don't think I knew in the beginning. And it wasn't because I didn't have an inner critic. It was alive and clear. It was operating very successfully, but so successfully I didn't even know I had one. Right? It was the wallpaper. Right? It was the kind of main modus operandi. 
heard people here say M-O. Is that what you say over here, right? Yeah, so I didn't know the bits that were saying, oh, you didn't do that right, shouldn't have done it like that, or that was really good. You know, that kind of constant commentary. And I want to highlight it because uh, it's painful, it's dukkha, it's suffering, to be guided by that. That's not our guidance, but sometimes we bond, right? Bond the gluing. Sometimes we're glued to the wallpaper of the inner critic for our guidance. We're looking for it to tell us who we are. Are we doing okay? You know, am I right and wrong? Am I right or wrong? Am I good or bad? That very binary suffering. When we conceptualize and split the world into right and wrong. And we do it to ourselves. And if it wasn't bad enough that we just have one in our ordinary life, and we come to spiritual practice and we get an upgraded version of the inner critic that's become spiritual inner critic, and that's even more slippery. At least the worldly one's a bit blunt and nasty. The spiritual inner critic is more, and you start to hear it, like, oh, I don't even want to speak, it's horrible. <laughs> right? You know, like using the spiritual language and spiritual tools in the map to put you down. Like, oh, you're still clinging to that? <laughs> you're still working with that? You haven't let go of that? Oh, that wasn't very compassionate, right? And it can have this. It's different than a. It's different than a really kind of a wide reflection where we feel sometimes we're not compassionate, right? We can sense it, and something horrible came out of my mouth, and I go, "Whoops," right? Yeah, that's an intelligence. There, that's different. The critic is kind of putting us down. One of my teachers says the critic is uh, the guardian of the status quo. Right? You want things to stay the same? Then have your critic as your guide. And sometimes we can't help it. We're, we're glued to it. We're glued to it. Uh, we're not glued to it. That's how it appears. It's... Right? And we need to learn how to work with it. And sometimes appropriately, when it's, we're feeling bullied, like enough. Enough. For the Buddha on the night of his awakening, it was enough for him to see it. Sometimes it's simply enough to see, oh, that's it. You know, the seeing is powerful. As the chitta clarifies, as the heart-mind clarifies, and we do our work, the seeing becomes more powerful, brighter, and when a little bit less uh, captured, in this case, by the critic. Right? But as we go deeper at... at, at, at each place we can see another level of the critic. So as the Buddha took his seat of um, determination and sat under the tree and said, I'm going to sit here till I see what's possible, then a number of distractions came, we could say, or a number of things came up. Right? Then when we make the commitment to sit, things come up, the things that we haven't handled yet. And one of them was the critic who said, who do you think you are sitting there thinking you can be free? Has anyone had that one yet since you've been here? I mean, it may not be as um, obvious as that. 
sometimes they're less verbal and it can kind of just undercut you if you've had the legs taken out from under you. Right? In that moment, it was enough for him to see. So, oh, I see you. I see you. And even after Mara would visit these personifications of delusion. And, and one person in the group I brought to mind for her, um, you see in a number of cultures actually, but I'm particularly thinking of a temple I visited in Bali um, many years ago where it's a Buddhist temple and outside and it's not uncommon to see these temple guardians, right, like lions and things bearing their teeth, right? What's that for? It's not very welcoming, is it? We've been working with the word. It's not very welcoming, but it's actually a protective quality for precisely things like these things that take us off our seat, like the critic. You know, you can't do this. You're no good at this. You were never any good at this. Why do you think you could do this? All the time you're the same. You're still deluded, right? On and on and on it goes. The protection of the temple guardians around us, around you, like you would if a bully was bullying a little kid in the school playground. Yeah, you might have to bare your teeth, right? To go, no, enough, enough. So reaching down and touching the earth as our, one of our guides did before us. But yeah, this practice is for you. So this first layer of working with the critic, and I'll get to the song now. So that it's a, uh, so it's based on a poem by Rumi, which I'm sure I, I guess a number of you will know. And uh, it's uh, the words of the original poem are beyond ideas of wrongdoing or right doing. There's a field, I'll meet you there, right? And then it says something like, and when the soul lies down in this grass, well, you can imagine, what would it be like for the soul to lie down in that grass, right? Just right now, imagine you really knew deeply right to the inside of every cell that there's nothing wrong with you or anything even that's brought you here that got you to this seat. If you really knew that, that nothing needs fixing here, the journey is a different one. It's not based on that view. It's a wrong view. When the Buddha spoke about skillful and unskillful action, that actually is coming from a complete different paradigm than the right, wrong, good, bad of me, me, right and wrong, or good or bad. And we'll get there, right, we'll get there. It's something much more holistic, actually, skillful and unskillful. So the song goes like this, it's, it's got quite a melody, so I'll teach it to you with the hands up and down system. And it's, the melody's from a, a man in a town near where I live, and um, he put this poem to music, and for field, he... Uh, we got an extra word in to describe our field of a, a breathing field. Right? So it's beyond ideas of wrongdoing or rightdoing. There's a field 
a breathing field. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. And it's actually here, right? But that's how it goes. So it goes like this. <coughs> I'll sing the first line, then I'll, I'll sing the whole lot, and then I'll do a call and response, and you can join in. So it goes... Beyond ideas of right and wrongdoing, there is a field, a breathing field. I'll meet you there, I'll meet you there, I'll meet you. So it's, it might sound a little complicated, but I was quite surprised I taught this when I taught in Sweden, and they got it in the end. So let's see if you can match the Swedes, <laughs> if you want to. Right. So it goes like this. It goes, <clears throat> beyond ideas. Do you want to try that one? Beyond ideas of right and wrongdoing, of right and wrongdoing, there is a field, there is a field, a breathing field, a breathing field, I'll meet you there, 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 I'll meet you there. So we'll just keep going and when you get it let let your whole chitter come into that and be welcomed into that field right we can take off the shackles of that glue at least the glue that there's something wrong here with me if you have that at all ever right <clears throat> beyond ideas of right and wrongdoing, there is a field, a breathing field. I'll meet you there, I'll meet you there, I'll meet you there. Beyond ideas of right and wrongdoing, there is a field, a breathing field. I'll meet you there, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there Beyond ideas 
of right and wrongdoing. There is a field, a breathing field. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you Beyond ideas of right and wrongdoing, there is a field, a breathing field. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. Beyond ideas of right and wrongdoing, there is a field, a breathing field. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you found this piece from one of the saints from one of the traditions, all our guides, all wise beings, St. Francis de Sales, Sale? how do you say it? St. Francis from Sales. St. <laughs> Francis de Sales. He said, be patient with everyone, but above all, guess who? With yourself. I mean, do not be disheartened by your imperfections, but always rise up with fresh courage. I'm glad you make a fresh beginning daily. Sounds like he's here, doesn't it? He says, there is no better means of attainment to the spiritual life than by continually beginning again. Same story, right, from when, when he was around. How are we to be patient in dealing with our neighbor's faults if we are impatient in dealing with our own? He who is fretted by his own failings will not correct them. Can you see that? You know, when we're fretted by our failings, we keep the status quo, actually. And then he says, All profitable correction comes from a calm and peaceful mind. Right? Real transformation doesn't come from getting down on ourselves. We kind of know that. Except when we keep doing it. Right. All real transformation comes from a calm and peaceful mind that actually our natural orientation to ethics and goodness is available, actually, especially when we're not being harsh on ourselves. So, thank you, St. Francis. <clears throat> Do 
just to finish uh, finish up on the inner critic, if only, just to finish up for now. The, the, one of the women who was reflecting on it today said, actually what she notices is that keeping the inner critic as the guide is a, a way of staying bonded, glued to her father. Right? Not that that's all he was, but you know, that's some of the conditioning that our, our lineage is can pass down, isn't it? Sometimes the harshness and the criticism. And that that was a way of staying as the person of our family of origin in a certain way. And one of the things in the Dharma practice where uh, we're the metaphor, and it's not just a metaphor for the monks and nuns, it's real, we're leaving the householder's life and going into the homeless life. In a sense, we're kind of leaving the shore of always referencing ourself by who we have been. And I think that's why the power of taking the robes and shaving the hair and having a new name and all of that is part of marking that. We're <coughs> entering into a new territory. No, we're not um, trying to cut off and pretend we have no past. Not at all. That's another kind of uh, delusion, actually. It's another kind of violence, actually. Yes, we have the lines that we come from all of us, and that's important and worthy of respect and all, yes, all the tricky parts we inherit and the vulnerabilities and the strengths and the things our people have been through or done to people. All of that's in the lines, right? And in entering the spiritual journey, we're also wanting to know who and what we are that is not conditioned. So, as a way of staying bonded or loyal, we could say, to who we have been in our history. We have a kind of bonding mechanism. We always kind of want to go back there. It's like, no, I want to recognize myself. I want to stay the same on some level. Right? But we're all called here because we're interested in transformation. Right? That's what we're doing. Even if the inertia is to pull us back into the known, there's something in us that keeps wanting to go forward. And with the person I described with the anxiety, actually some of what is difficult is, yes, being with our difficult stuff, but also in that case opening to how much love and interest there is for freedom or how much love or how much care there is for other beings. Sometimes we're more used to knowing ourselves in a smaller, contracted version. And it can feel a little threatening when we go, actually, wow, looks like I care about all these people. Right? Looks like I care about these beings. Wow, I didn't know that. I thought I was mean and grumpy. Right? Actually, wow. Yeah, well, sometimes I'm mean and grumpy. But there's also this. There's also this. So, citta viveka. So now we first looked at the layer of gluing, being glued to the inner critic. Let's look a little bit at um, yeah. Let yourself imagine. Imagine. There's a permission to imagine for a moment. Imagine the citta 
the heart-mind, the whole resonant, intelligent, sensitive-ness of you, imagine that not sticky to anything, not sticking to anything, that what arises in it is allowed to move through, is allowed to unfold, that things don't get stuck or fixated upon or squeezed or pushed or big me up, right? But the thing that the organic nature of that is allowed to reveal itself to us with, into this bright awake awareness, which is also the chitta, right? This awake knowing mind, that what's here is allowed to move, that we are in a sense in our deeper nature like a, a, a clear conduit for life to live itself, right? Which is why we're interested in freedom, because when that doesn't feel available to us, we feel the rub of it. We feel the pain of, oh, I keep, we feel the pain of our limitation. Why? Why do we feel the pain of our limitation? It's because it's not the deeper truth. The limitation is the way the chitta has gotten conditioned Right, is the resonances we've got glued to because of conditioning and patterning and, and us repeating that. Why we're called to freedom is because something of this deeper nature of the chitta, we know it on some level. We call to it. We hear the whisper of that longing for home, we could say. And that's that sense of who and what we are when we're unhindered. We've glimpsed it. We may have seen that in our life in different times, gotten glimpses of that. But on the way to that, yes, we work with what hinders us, right? That's what we see on the cushion. What's kind of hindering this chitter? What's kind of I'm bumping into? What do I keep bumping into here? What is, the, what is getting sticky for me here? trying to think how to put some of these pieces together in the in the time I'm not that I have to stay exactly to the time but to share Pascal this morning was talking about um, the shift from uh, Perceiving our mind as about me and mine and trying to, you know, have the right experience for me to a complete different shift of view of I'm studying human nature, right? I'm studying human nature. How's that been going? How's that shift in view been going, 
right? That shift of perception that we keep applying again and again because we forget because sometimes it really does feel like it's about me, right? And it is. It is arising here and we do need to take care and respect that. But what happens when we say, oh, right now I'm entering the national park of... Oh, this is this is what humans throughout the ages in all cultures and generations have had to handle fear. Oh, here's the national park of fear. Huh. That's a huge shift, which we can practice again and again and again, because with the chitta, normally, and tell me if you're other than this, we're trying to have a nice chitta going. <laughs> Right? Who doesn't want a nice grooving chitter happening? Right? What What would you choose? You know, describe your ideal mind state. What do you fancy tonight on the menu? A little bit of bliss. And these things are beautiful. So I'm not. I, I don't want to knock any of those things. There's something why we're attracted to these beautiful states, right? But how would you? What would you have? Luminosity, radiance. Anyone want to call out? Boundless, what do you fancy? Boundless what? Boundless what? Tranquility. Oh, tranquility, yes. Imagine that whole conduit of what we are is just completely and utterly tranquil, like a still forest pool. Yeah? (coughs) Anything else? Anyone want a bit more up? Kind of. (laughs) People want a little bit more up? Yeah, kind of joy or... uh, Radiance, or confidence. confidence, right. So those kind of be- strong belly qualities, yeah, the chitta um, infused with confidence where we can just sit and be <coughs> who and where we are, right? Confident just to be here, yeah. And we all have ones that we probably would seek after or hope for would arise. And there's a reason that we cho- we say those things. It's not completely random. It's because tranquility and confidence and radiance are part of our unhindered nature. I think the Buddha knew something about tranquility, confidence, radiance, right? And yet, the reason they became more available for him was because of this citta viveka not gluing to the resonances that arise. So when it's not radiance, confidence and tranquility, the chitta in that moment may have something much harder or more gnarly or contracted to bear. Do I glue to that? And what do we do when we glue? Something arises, let's say, what's one of your harder ones today? The chitta affected by what? Shame, right? Shame. And shame, how does that feel in the chitta for, for you? For me, when shame arises and I've, I, I've picked it up and I've glued to it, which is the inner critic part, in the chitta it's, it's like, sometimes it feels like the legs have gone out from under me. It's like it's nothing there, there's no support. Sometimes it feels like I'm collapsed. The chitta kind of collapses, caves in. Any of you ever feel that? Kind of caves in like, Right. Others, any other states that have been hard to bear? Anger. anger. Yeah, chitta affected by anger. Either, either the fiery was it the fiery kind or the hot kind or the sharp pointy kind or the oh yeah all of the above right the kind of slicing kind or the yeah so there's the all those different ways that aversion and anger the scratchy kind you got uh, 
I'm a, this is my ex- area of expertise, right? You know, I think somebody was talking about sleepiness. Um, yeah, right from the scratchy, irritable, little kind of barbed wire, sandpaper feeling, right to the kind of knives and axes, and right, right through to that whole territory, to the fire and the heat and the inferno, and all of that. Okay, so that arises in the chitta. Yes, we're not trying to support it or think it's great, but... If we're not judging it, what is it to not bond to it? What does it mean not to stick to it? Sticking to it, well, first, one way will be, this shouldn't be here. And we have to bond to it, we glue to it, we stick to it to try and push it away. And we either try and put it in our body somewhere, or we try and blast it out at someone else, or spin in our mind for ages, you know how it goes. Our work is to handle those resonances too. How do I handle those? Chitta viveka, the non-bonding, not sticking to the resonances that arise in the chitta, does not mean they do not arise. On our way to full awakening, they arise. They arise. It's the handling all of them, not leaning in so close that we stick to it to try and kind of compact it, and not leaning so far away we don't want to go anywhere near it and we put inadvertently push it away. Freedom of the chitta is knowing how to handle any of the resonances that arise without reifying them and making them really important, neither relegating them. How to handle the fire that moves through making room for it. One or one measure for us is if anger is arising first to see well normally remember when I said it comes up usually we might first notice it in the head center right the story about the anger and they did and they shouldn't and and that can that can just really go fast can't it and go around and around and around first moment of waking up it's like oh Okay, wow, I'm at IMS and I'm in this story about anger. Oh, this is the national park of anger. Okay, this is common to people throughout millennia, everywhere. Somebody knows something about anger. Okay, what's it like to name that? Oh, this is anger. Can you see the shift already? Isn't trying to get the best chitter for me. It's the freedom of actually learning how to be malleable enough to handle this energy wisely for our benefit and invariably for the benefit of each other. As I start to learn to handle this a little bit more, just piece by piece, (coughs) I'm less likely to hook it on you or hook it on myself, blaming you or blaming me. Both, they belong to that binary thing. Remember? It's like, oh, okay, this is hard to bear. It's the national park of aversion. Oh, okay, which part of the territory am I in now? Oh, it's the scratchy sandpaper kind. Can I feel that in my body? Do you ever feel that irritation? Scratchy, rough. Can I come to that phenomena, phenomenon, of scratchiness. (coughs) And what happens when we do? 
a number of things can happen. Actually, it can start to shift and move and move on, actually. It can also let the chitta start to be infused with the quality that is trying to come through. Maybe it's strength or clarity or courage that's getting twisted up into anger. It's a big shift, and we'd have to, in my experience, I have to do it again and again and again from trying to have the desirable chitta that I want to actually learning that freedom comes from the blessed, sacred quality of being awake to what is here, learning how to skillfully handle it. That's what transforms us. That's what lets the chitta clarify. Now, a rule of thumb is that if there's a very difficult resonance arising, what could it be? Grief, loneliness. Um, they, they come up, these old places we haven't yet been able to handle. Bitterness, envy, sorrow. <coughs> hungriness, right? unsatisfied hunger. What else? I made a big list. I don't think I have it with me. A rule of thumb for me is I drop the story, come into the body, can I breathe with it? Right? Can I breathe with it? If I can breathe with and through that kind of sometimes clumpy, hard rock in my chest, if I can breathe through and with it, that's okay. Right? It can be breathed with and is given some aeration, we could say. Some life can move and start to open it up. If I can't breathe with it, if I keep bumping and pushing and getting harder and tougher, back off. We're not always asked to dive in. Wisdom is knowing about what's skillful right now and sometimes what is really skillful and not any less um, spiritual whatsoever is to widen. This is a skill that many of us have to learn. Our tendency might be to want to dive in. I want to work with that thing. Right? Sometimes we want to take our hands off and let the awareness wide and so we're looking at a much bigger topography in this national park right much wider horizon come out and feel the arms feel the legs open the eyes sometimes go for a walk go hug a tree walk around the loop uh, walk a bit faster whatever allows you to connect and widen and don't forget we're all in this together because sometimes it feels so personal and it does, it really does. And there may be real pieces that are really and true have happened for us. But what will serve us isn't always knocking harder on the doorway of depth, but actually learning how to open my eyes, widen my perception, have a look at the other people walking, just sit, you know, go sit somewhere where people are doing walking and just hang out with them. Widen that perception. 
Does that make sense? Because sometimes, and I've seen this for myself, we're kind of just trying to push and go deeper into something. And that can be more violence. It can be more pushing. It can be more, um, more of the same. More of the same. There's one small piece I want to say before finishing. Somebody left a note um, asking us, could could someone say something about Kuan Yin? Is every statue here that's not a Buddha Kuan Yin? So um, the answer is, I don't know every single statue here, but I think largely speaking... The ones who aren't a formal Buddha are, are a Kuan Yin. I think, especially the two out, well, not especially the two out there, in that walking room, are Kuan Yin. And the reason she or he fits here is um, that this is another way we can attend to these residues without sticking to them. Is to listen. Kuan Yin, the, the Bodhisattva of compassion, is she who listens to the cries of the world. She who listens to the cries of the world and there's various things said, she, she pours her healing balsam on the cries or the wounds of the world. What would that mean as we attend to our own cries of our own desolation or desperation or frustration or anger, grief, despair. That which sees the despair can also hear the despair. Sometimes we can hear the cry of (laughs) rising through the chitta. Not bonding to it is really the place where compassion can arise. Sometimes we think compassion is going to be taking hold of it and doing something with it and trying to fix it. That's a kind of a sort of conventional view of compassion. The compassion of the, of the blessed, sacred aspect of what we are can hear the cry, is intimate with the cry, is not separate from the cry, but is not bonded to the cry. That's a little hard for the mind to get. But, but you know it. That in us, which isn't just binary, knows that. Hear the cry. Feel the resonance of the cry. But for Kuan Yin, or that aspect of us that is that compassionate nature, the cry doesn't stick. It doesn't kind of get stuck to something in us because Kuan Yin's done her work. She's done her work, clarified the chitta, and if something does get stuck, then I guess she'll work with that, right? To widen that quality. This beautiful one uh, in the walking room with the crack right down through her. I, I was, was that here 20 years ago when we lived here? Oh, that's why I didn't see it, okay. I thought maybe I just didn't notice it. How long has that one been here with the crack? At least 10. Yeah, 
20, okay. <laughs> Let's take votes. How long has Kuan Yin been? But this one, I was really struck by her some time ago of seeing that, that crack right down, almost through the middle, right? That, she knows something about suffering, right? She knows something about that bro- being broken, right? And she's not broken, Right? What is that that our own cries become the place where the incredible boundless heart is realized? That's the possibility of handling the material that arises. This isn't all of our practice, this uh, difficult stuff. Sometimes there's beautiful and magnificent things arising, which we also have to learn to handle. But this particular aspect of the cries that arise internally and by cry, I also include the territory of hatred and contraction and density and I don't care. That's a cry as well. Some people working with resistance. And you know that place? Have you ever come across that place in the chitta, the heart's like, I don't care? How would it be to listen to the national park? And it's a big national park, right? The I don't care hear it here where we just want to stop resonating with ourselves because it feels too much and the kid in the playground who doesn't care we can feel that right so we, we do well, that happens in my heart when something's too hard to bear i have to stop caring that's what we do It's just we've reached the limit of what the heart can resonate with in a free way. What is it even to listen to that cry, the hard cry, that doesn't cry? That part too. I think I'll have to stop there, but this was, I was, maybe I can do it the next time I speak. One of my students gave me this book recently, um, it's by Stephen Levine, I think it's quite a new one, called Becoming Kuan Yin. And um, this isn't just an externalized uh, somebody to praise, this is a very useful function as as a reminder for us, it's part of our nature. As we do, as we can do our work, and um, it tells a story of a, a a young woman who goes through these various hardships, actually, but with a spiritual uh, warrior quality through through it all, and she be- becomes Kuan Yin, in a way through her own encounter with life. It's not an abstract thing. It's it's very personal, very personal, in going to the universal. So uh, maybe I'll pick that up next time. So let's um, yeah, let's sit together for a minute to end.
May all beings listen deeply to themselves. May all beings be friendly with themselves. May all beings touch Chitta Viveka and know it for themselves. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.